and welcome to my podcast, John Scott Lawton's English You Know. In this episode, I'm looking at the art or science of speaking in public. Why is it that so many people get worried about speaking in public, perhaps when they have to give a presentation in front of hundreds of people, right down through to attending an interview? Why is it that our nerves sometimes get the better of us and we feel we haven't given of our best selves and we haven't been able to say what we really wanted to say or we didn't answer the question that was asked of us? I speak with Priscilla Morris from Loud and Clear Voice Coaching and she gives some really good practical advice about what we can do to give our best voice and to give the best of ourselves so we really get across our message to our audience. We'll look at the role of nonverbal communication, why that's so important, and whether or not it's right to use our hands and our gestures when we're speaking, whether it's online or face-to-face. Priscilla is a trained actor, an examiner with the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, and also a festival adjudicator working around the world at speech festivals. Who better then to speak to about the voice, how to control your nerves, and how to give the best presentations you possibly can. Hello Priscilla and thank you very much for joining me. I'm really glad to have you on the podcast today and this is the whole area of public speaking and the fascination around it and how for some people they find it very difficult. Why do you think that is? Why do people feel speaking in public is something they just can't do? Ah, well, I I think science can give us the answer to this because I believe the statistics which actually say that public speaking can be scarier than death, (laughs) which always (laughs) makes me slightly smile because it sounds ridiculous. But I think really what they're saying is it generates that amount of fear. And I really do think the fear comes from the fact that we think we'll do it badly. We'll think that we're not capable of doing it. Uh, The most obvious thing is I'm going to forget my words or I'm going to completely dry up uh, in front of this audience and faint. You know, one of these things which is really very unlikely is the thing that people bring up. And for me, the answer to that fear is when you have understanding, you take away some of that fear. So for me, it's really important to understand what works in the delivery in public speaking. What should you be doing? What's the best practice? Because you know, if you know what works and you can do it, then surely that is going to make you a bit more confident. Mm -hmm. So you focus on the positives rather than the negatives, rather than the fact that everybody gets nerves. um, You deal with what should good look like? What should a good speech or good delivery be? Yes, absolutely, because we do know what that is. We've got a lot of science, scientific feedback through surveys um, to tell us what we know works and what isn't so good. And also, I, I think that the problem for a speaker very often is they're focusing on themselves. So they're thinking, uh, oh, what am I going to say? Uh, how am I going to say it? Uh, what's, what's this room going to be like? And actually what you should focus on is your audience. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I would tend to say to someone is, imagine being in that audience. What would you want from the speaker? What do you okay. want the speaker to do? Because that is the key, isn't it? Because if you're thinking about your audience, right, 
I'm going to give my audience this information in a certain way. I'm going to put it across in a way that, that will keep them interested. I'm going to use my PowerPoint or whatever I'm using to help them understand. I'm going to give them a good experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I have yet to know anybody sitting in an audience who wants the speaker to be awful. Yes. I mean, you may every, get a very, ex person, very yes. extreme position of a political rally, maybe would be a bit uh, well, challenging, but that's yes. different. Um, yes. So where did you first pick this up? Was it your training as an actor where these these issues first came to the fore for you or, or differently? No, I think it probably initially was through my training as, as an actor, because my my we had a a public speaking professor, uh, actually a very famous man who, believe it or not, in the 1960s had his own television show on public speaking. That's how well he know, well known he was at the time. A man called John Holgate, uh, which if anybody has ever been in a secondhand bookshop and looked for books on public speaking, you'll probably find some of his. So John Holgate was brilliant. He was somebody who really gave you the skills to understand what oratory was of course it's different from acting acting is playing a character isn't it whereas when you're public speaking you're being yourself but you are also giving a performance yes so there is a heightened delivery it's not the same as a as a conversation it's something more it has mm -hmm. to be something that really engages the audience and makes them think but what what's developed for me over the years is my experience with business people mm -hmm. so i'm able to relate it now very specifically to the business world interviews um, when you have to give information to your team when you're perhaps talk, doing internal speaking or external speaking which is even more important if you're being part of the brand of your company as it were in the way you speak so finding out what the business um, community want has enabled me to slightly change some of my my materials to make it more relevant to them because I think each each area uh, of, of people who have to speak has different reasons you know depends on what business you're in or might not even be business at all it might be social speaking which is different again mm -hmm. so there's very definitely something there about the relationship between what you want to say and who you're saying it to, as you said, the audience, the who is very important. And yes, within the business community, the need to influence others, because very often you might be doing a sales pitch or an interview yep. where you're trying to get a job. Uh, we've done That's some right. podcasts on and that recently. They are all forms of public speaking, you know, short form or long form. It doesn't really matter. If you think about it, even having a conversation one-to-one -one with a prospective um client or somebody who's going to buy from you that's a piece of public speaking too mm -hmm. you're influencing them very strongly in a subconscious way yeah. uh, and that that comes from partly your vocal delivery partly your body language all of these things are being assessed by the brain of the person who is listening mm -hmm. or if it's a group obviously you get a range of feelings about you from that group but what you can do is try and make sure it's in a positive zone shall we say yes. so you're aiming to please most of the people most of the time yes i've certainly got a reputation for um 
I'm a bit like people say Marmite, you know, they either love me or hate me. They either like what I'm saying or they don't, or they either like what I look like or don't, or indeed like the way I sound or don't. So that can be difficult. What if you were a quiet person, uh, very quiet and uh, rather shy, and you were expected to give a speech? What kind of advice can you give somebody uh, with that kind of personality? Ah, well, there you're talking about the introvert, aren't you? Mm -hmm. And and the introvert is tricky because really they're having to find a way of letting out their feelings when they probably would much rather hide behind a shield. Exactly. Uh, So I think one of the things about being an introvert is preparation is key because you need to give yourself confidence that you know what you want to say. Now, when I say you know what you want to say, I don't necessarily mean you need to learn a script. And actually, I would not suggest that you try and learn a script because I describe it as being in a situation where you are going along a tightrope without a safety net. Yes. Because if you do forget your script, (laughs) you have nowhere to go. Exactly. So this is all about imagination, preparation, really doing good a good sense of what is my what is my scenario what is my structure and then lots of rehearsal you know as much rehearsal as you can possibly do so that you feel that you're happy with it and i also suggest that people video themselves mm-hmm. nowadays our phones will do it for us won't they we don't need expensive equipment anymore yeah and it's a really good idea to get a sense of what the audience is going to see and hear mm-hmm. I've called this um, piece the science or art of um, public speaking, you know, which is it? And you've mentioned science a couple of times. What's the science behind breathing and how breathing can help you when you're trying to calm your nerves? Oh, breathing is so important. Um, Without getting overcomplicated, if I just mention, if people think about how they're breathing as they're just sitting there listening to this, they will be doing something called tidal breathing which is effectively when the air just washes in and out of your body. So if you're not doing anything very energetic, you don't need much air. Now, if you were running for a train or you were doing competitive sport, then you would need more air. And in that instance, your body knows how to get it. It knows how to fill your lungs up more effectively. For public speaking, most people will find they need a little bit of extra energy. And that's where a different way of breathing can help. And technically it's called the intercostal diaphragmatic method, which Mm -hmm. is a bit of a mouthful, but effectively what it means is that you need to expand the central part of the body. I call it blowing up a balloon with the air going in at the stomach, which sounds a bit strange, but it's a good concept to have in the head because the idea is you're going to actually physically slightly expand your rib cage, which will allow your diaphragm to drop until it actually eases out the stomach. And suddenly the lungs, which have been trapped in the upper chest, which is where they are when tidal breathing takes place, drop right the way down to your stomach and you get a huge amount more air. Then that air column is what you use to support the air on the on the way out. It's nice and thick when it's in your windpipe. And when it comes into your voice box, 
the two vocal cords can vibrate against this really thick column of air that gives you the beginnings of a nice strong note mm -hmm. and then that column of air can push that sound right up into the head where the resonating cavities the mouth the nose the sinus pockets and little cells of air that are dotted around actually amplify the sound and give it the resonance that we want mm. so as an audience you want to be able to hear that the speaker is giving you some of their energy that they're making an effort to speak to you and and that comes from breathing in a more positive way so trying to to use this technique so it's very much like an engine isn't it there's an issue of fuel yes. power the air is the fuel that you need to Absolutely. the engine to be performing at a very good level for a high level yes. for a sustained period of time indeed and i just to say that if anybody wants a little bit more information on that i on my website there is actually a page called free stuff and it's actually got quite a lot of stuff on pdfs that you can download uh, so the website is www loudandclearuk.com so that's, you can have a little look on there and I, i'm sure i've got something there on breathing brilliant that's very helpful priscilla and these are the, the skills and the tips that people need because they struggle with this for a while and and then decide public speaking is not for them and it's because they've missed perhaps some of these kind of precursors or ideas before a speech that you've you've talked about which mm. help people become more confident um sure. With athletes, of course, um, we were going to talk about getting in the zone, but I am going to pick that up with an Olympian athlete in a future episode because they focus, don't they? And your suggestion has been focus on your audience. The focus for an athlete is on the finish line or how to complete the task that they've been set. So I think psychologically, there are some of the same things going on. Um, but the breathing. Is yes, the and actually, there is something else relevant with breathing to do with psychology, too. Mm you can you can get all of this physical thing set in place so the extra air into the lungs and feeling that you have that center core strength which is quite important but you also need a sense in your mind of where you want to throw it yes so there is literally a sense of the physical sending of the sound where you want it to go that's also important without that there's a little something missing even when you've got the technique right so this idea is it to speak towards the back of the room rather than the front row? Is that as simple as that? Yes, it is simplistically. Yes, I I think what I would say is you need to be thinking of where where is the furthest point you want it to go. So if you were speaking uh, in a theatre format and you've got rows and rows of people, you're aiming it beyond the back row. If you've got a, a workshop situation where they're in tables all around you in the room, then obviously you have to be thinking about different directionals as well. You know, So where am I aiming this at different points? And you can change your focus. But, but simplistically, yes, you're aiming for a beyond the back row. And that sense of aiming it sort of at a wall further back is really good because you know if you do that that everybody in the room will hear you excellent excellent advice how about um modulation and pitch some technical <laughs> terms but how not to sound boring basically <laughs> Yes. Okay. So what we mean by modulation, sometimes the term is variety in voice. Modulation 
is is sort of a recipe. I describe it as a recipe made up of of several different sections. It, it, it incorporates pitch, pace, pauses, inflections, variety of volume and tone color. So there are six things involved in it. Mm -hmm. But I suppose pitch is the thing we notice most because it's the most obvious thing when somebody speaks for the first time. So what we're aiming for is that the pitch should be appropriate to you as a person, perhaps in your role. Most people have a favoured area of their pitch range where they're happy to be, <laughs> and that's normal. Everybody does have quite a number of notes at their disposal, but they may not be aware of them. Um, I can actually give your listeners a little exercise if you'd like me to, John. Oh, yes, please. Let's do that. Okay. It's a bit of fun as well. So what you have to do is position your mouth as if you just said the word going and you got stuck on the NG. So you're in an ung position. The reason mm -hmm. for that is we're going to send the breath down the nose so that we don't run out of it too quickly. Then I'm going to take a nice big breath. I'm going to expand that center of my body. I'm going to think about a low note and then think myself up and down like this. There we go. Very good. And you can feel the length of that and the power of it coming through, particularly when you've gone almost over the top of that bridge and yes. then coming down the other side. That's right. And it actually, uh, for men, sometimes they will kick automatically into falsetto range. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll literally come to a wall and stop. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, it just depends on the individual. But the, the key thing about pitch is that we know that certain areas of pitch are automatic. So they're very much connected with emotion. Mm -hmm. So if we're very happy about something or, oh, that's fantastic. The pitch, of course, shoots up into the stratosphere. Yes. And generally speaking, if we're being very serious about something, then generally um, you'll find that those sort of bits of information are being uh, disseminated here. They're mm -hmm. being talked about in these lower areas but you you find where it suits you best what i would say is bear in mind that positivity is seated around halfway and just above mm -hmm. so in other words i can be talking about something very serious down here and then decide to go there where the mood of my audience might feel a little lighter mm -hmm. And yes. making those changes within. Didn't Margaret Thatcher, as former prime minister, have to do some work on her pitch? Because there is a gender difference here you've touched upon, where women yes. um, with a higher pitch um, were felt not to be as convincing, which clearly is sexist. But oh, there was an issue absolutely. of pitch and she trained to have her voice slightly lowered. Is that right? That is completely correct. And if your uh, listeners would like to prove that, if you have a look on some of the archive uh, political interviews, if you look at some interviews from when she was a young parliamentarian and, and just, just had a place in the cabinet, um, what you'll hear is that Margaret is speaking sort of here and saying, oh yes, well, Dennis and I have to have childcare while I'm in the, the chamber. So that's where her voice was. By the time she was prime minister, if you look at her in the mid 80s, oh, we have Margaret here. 
So she is now talking in this place and making sure that everybody is really understanding what she has to say. Mm -hmm. And that was deliberately done because obviously in those times, women had never been in this position before. Mm -hmm. And it was either said to her or perhaps she worked out herself that it was more, it would be more effective and more helpful to her if she sounded more like a man. Okay. which is so, a little bit strange to think about nowadays. I'm going to say, I just want to be absolutely clear, in no way are we condoning the sexism that lay behind that, that perception that all. only a male no. voice could carry persuasion. Um, yes. And not one agrees with her politics, she was a good communicator. So, yes. um, okay, let's move on to some more technical aspects. And you've mentioned <laughs> already the audience, they're absolutely key. And I do think you're right. I think people focus too much on me uh, as the speaker, what have I got to do? But equally, you've got to have a relationship with that audience. Um, what else do you think are some of the technical aspects of voice that you would say for somebody who's using their voice a lot, like me, this has been recorded on a Friday. Now, probably a bad sign, but my voice is getting tired. I've been probably speaking too much this week. How right. do teachers in particular maintain the quality of their voice so it's consistent throughout a long period? Let's say a term, 12 weeks, 10 weeks. Yes, um, this, is, this is a major problem. Struggle. Yeah, this is a major problem. I have done quite a lot of work with uh, newly qualified teachers, uh, with also I do specifically a lot of work with swimming teachers and coaches. So obviously where they work in, in swimming pools, it's a really bad um, place for the voice because of the chemicals in the air, it's hot, it's, it's humid, it's noisy, you know, there's all that um, echo going on, couldn't be worse really. And what happens of course is that when people want to be heard and they've not been taught about how to use the voice safely, they push it from the throat. So we would call it shouting, but effectively it doesn't, that doesn't mean to say it always has to be bellowingly loud, but it is pushed from the throat muscles. So the vocal cords are trying to work against a shallow column of air, um, which is hard for the vocal cords, so they get dry and tired. And then we push the muscles in the throat, so we get a sore throat. And, and I think, a lot of these things have been made worse by the fact that we're having to do all this work on on Zoom yes. nowadays, on online platforms, because there is an implied tension and stress in that mm. just working in two dimensions. It's nowhere near as good mm -hmm. as when you've got people in the room with you and you can read the body language and you can respond naturally it's such an artificial place to be. Yeah. Uh, and so for the, for the voice, it's really difficult. And I, and I think it's important that people treat the voice as part of their toolkit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's part of your working toolkit. So things that you need to be aware of is getting the breath from the right place. So power it from your stomach, not from your throat. Use lots of water, room temperature, not iced. So keep drinking water during the day. Um, caffeine is a little bit problematic so if you if you like a lot of strong coffee then up the water too because that that may slightly dehydrate you then another thing that happens is if, if you actually have a sore throat then it's better not to use throat sweets mm. because actually they dry you out more it's much better just to suck fruit pastels which will make saliva yes. uh, and then at the end of the day get yourself a steamer 
and inhale steam for 10 minutes because that is the only thing that can get directly to your vocal cords and give them a little bit of relief. So it's a, a useful thing to do at the end of a working day if, if you've got a lot of talking to do um, and, and possibly first thing as well before you start using your voice. Mm -hmm. And even something similar, simple, like a little bit of a warm up for the voice before you start the day. We're talking about things like do that little range, do a little bit the pitch range, do a little bit of humming, uh, some tongue twisters, a bit of breathing in and out. Just, you know, a few minutes really of, of just concentrating on the voice can make a huge difference. Very definitely. Uh, you and I first met at Lambda, the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, and obviously in different roles. You were examining, um, I was head of examinations, but um, we were both surrounded by young professional and older professional actors or train, trainee actors, but actually actors, uh, very proficient. And they would very often walk down a corridor towards me mouthing. I think they were speaking to me, but actually they were practicing, they were stretching their voice. They were um, right. nursing, if you like, their vocal cords ready for a full day of speaking yes. or, or acting. Um, yes. very important yeah, and I think it like it's that. very interesting to note that um, some of our um, fa most famous actors who are now getting on in years, you know, some of them in, in their 80s, their voices have hardly declined at all. And it's because they look after them and they they really take care mm -hmm. and think about how they're using them. And even things like in the winter when you're outside, keep your throat warm. Yes. You know, don't put your the vocal, the voice box or that area under strain, you know, yeah. take care of it. This was Pavarotti with his scarf, wasn't it, of course? Always oh, yes. wearing a scarf. <laughs> yep. Um, what about ventilation? Because it's obviously something with coronavirus, people are worried about airflows, but actually we're spending much of the day, as you said, with Zoom, hunched over a computer, which is itself generating electronic electrical heat, which is very drying for the throat. Your advice about water is very well taken, warm water. But airflow, what about that? Fresh air? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it never hurts to have some fresh air, does it? But obviously, I think it would depend on the temperature because you don't really want to be letting very cold air into the room because then you'll be taking that down in, in down the throat into the lungs and you don't want cold air in there. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, yeah, it swings and roundabouts. So yes, possibly, uh, but perhaps don't keep the heat up too high. Yes. If you're, you know, you know just, just make it moderate so it's comfortable to sit uh, but you don't feel as if you're really getting too hot. You touched on nonverbal communication. Can we say a bit more about um, even clothing, but posture, the way people stand, their hand movements, their yes. eye movements, even their gestures? What would you say to a speaker giving a public presentation about their nonverbal communication? Yes, so we've, we've, we've really got two things to consider at the moment, haven't we? So what happens if you're doing a speaking um, engagement and you're sitting at a computer? The important thing for that is make sure your back's straight. Uh, so put a cushion behind you if you need to, because if you're sitting up straight, you can still use the breathing. Mm -hmm. You can still open the chest. Uh, and also it enables you to keep your, your neck nicely aligned. Um, so you don't want to be pushing your head forward. In fact, probably if I do that, if you listen very carefully, you can hear what happens to the sound if I push my neck forward. So you can, and That's I'll pull it back 
you constrict it absolutely so when people are straining forward that can be the result so mm. always have an awareness now if, if when we get back to um the the world as it was before and mm. we may be standing on a platform in in front of a big audience i think it's very important to think about why we move because I have heard people in the past say, oh, it's a good idea to keep your energy level going by walking backwards and forwards on the stage. Now, my answer to that is, well, if I was in the audience and somebody was walking constantly backwards and forwards, what would I think? And I think my answer to that would be, why are they doing it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I think what happens in that situation is it becomes distracting. Yes. So anything that doesn't look natural is not a good idea. But gesture that feels natural, you should do. And I would never say to people, oh, don't use your hands too much because it's like being put in a straitjacket. Mm -hmm. It will make you feel really tense. As long as hands aren't directly in front of the face and making it difficult for people to see your face, gesture is absolutely fine. Never impose it, never plan in advance how you're going to use it. Mm -hmm. Just use it naturally. Yes, uh, and then move. Movement is fine, but make sure there is a motivation for that movement, a reason for, for it. Mm -hmm. So you might want to move to introduce a new subject. You might want to move because you want to leave a little pause so that people can take in a particularly busy slide you just put up and get yourself a drink of water or something. There are all sorts of things that can come into this. But actually, they all come back to what the audience is seeing and hearing. Mm -hmm. And it's that combination of factors, isn't it? You see politicians, it's difficult to describe it on an audio, but politicians who, instead of pointing now, they, they sort of push a thumb towards you, don't they, with a semi-closed fist yes, um, to yes. avoid the pointed finger. That's right, yes. Interesting. Yes. Uh, what about Zoom? And speaking to camera, uh, we're looking, <laughs> and I tend to look between the camera and yourself. I'm seeing you on my screen. Um, what's your advice, though, when giving um, an important presentation to a group of people? It and is... you've got 12 of them in front of you, but you want should I not be looking at the green dot? No, I, I think you should just look to the centre of the screen. Or, to be quite honest, if you've got, if you can see little vignettes of, of lots of people, you've got a dozen people or more there, why not just look into different parts of the screen at different times? It's effectively the same thing as hopefully you would do on a stage. So your audience is in front of you, you've got the left-hand side, you've got the right-hand side, you've got the middle, um, there might be the front section, the back section. They all need some focus at different points. And I think it's this, exactly the same thing. One thing that I think is important is this issue of using a script mm -hmm. when you're using a screen. Mm -hmm. Be careful where your script is. So you, I think, again, it's a good idea to do a little trial session, perhaps with a friend yes. uh, who, who can then get a sense of what they can see. Because sometimes if, if the, where the script is, is is slightly wrong, it looks like you're not focused on, on your audience at all. And that's very off-putting for the audience. They get quite cross because they think, you know, why, why isn't that person looking at me? You know, don't they think I'm important? Pay attention so to I, me, yes. Yes. So it's trial and error. It, it's finding out what works. Mm. And it, it's even different on different pieces of equipment, isn't it? So it, it's, you know, each, each if you're using a, an iPad, it'll be different from using a laptop, etc. 
Definitely. I just had a session with a student who has got an interview and he was wanting to practice his camera because it's a new camera and he didn't know how he came across. So it's very important to actually, as you said, had a friend or somebody who could say to him, well, you seem to be looking away from the screen and I can see that you're actually reading something aloud. And yes. on that one, and you've mentioned scripting and not scripting, reading something aloud, there's a whole set of skills behind that, aren't yes. there? Which, um, Absolutely. Quite difficult to to acquire. We think we do them naturally when we're reading stories to children, but do we forget how to do it well? Well, I think the first point to remember is that when we write a script, be careful, because what you will write is written English. And that can be a bit essayish, because what we know is that when we speak spontaneously, we use simple language and we use quite short phrases. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would say is, yes, write it out if you want to, then speak it aloud and be very conscious of saying to yourself, right, would I say it that way? If not, change it. So what you want to end up with is something that sounds like you speaking, mm -hmm. not like you're reading a script. Mm -hmm. and, and then of course, the next thing is timing. So in real life, what's happening now, because I'm speaking spontaneously, is I'm having to think about it. Mm -hmm. So there are pauses when I'm thinking. And that's natural. And the problem, the problem with a script is that we forget that and we go straight past the full stops. So we, we finish an idea and we're off on the next one. Uh, and that makes it too quick for the audience because mm -hmm. they need time to take in what's just been said and get ready for the next bit so People, those pauses are really important yeah pauses and also um there is a phrase i can't remember it now technically but ums and ahs are actually they have value to the listener because they show that there's a bit of a brain pause they can capture what's just been said and the speaker worries about saying uh, mm, uh i mean i would avoid like that's my favorite pet oh, yes. oh yes but um <laughs> they are actually useful to the listener yes ums and ahs are fine i think people worry about them so much don't they but you're right it's a it's thinking aloud it's instead of just having a silence you're just going um the only problem would be if they occur every every sentence mm -hmm. so if you put an um or an er between every sentence then it's a bit like the constant movement it, it becomes something that we notice and then that stops us from listening to the message we've just be begun to fixate on the fact that oh the speaker is saying um or uh every line so <laughs> it's trying it's trying it's a balanced thing again isn't it but yeah. it's fine to have fillers i i'm i think i'm sure i'm quite fond of if i'm training i might say okay and it's mm. almost like just a sense of did you get that folks uh and sometimes i'll say so uh, that's yes. another of my favourites. <laughs> Although the Radio 4 so at the beginning of every response to every question does get a bit uh, annoying, doesn't it? Um... <laughs> yes. Losing your flow. Where somebody asks you a question, you think, gosh, I was hoping that question wouldn't come up, and it throws you off on a tangent, or rather it throws you off track. What's your advice to speakers where that happens to them? Right. Now, obviously, this would be when you're allowing people to ask you questions during a speech, isn't it? That doesn't happen so much because generally speak, speaking, we'll get the questions at the end. But if you are allowing it to be interactive, 
then I think you have to be prepared for the fact that you won't know everything. Mm-hmm. And I would, I think the best thing a speaker can do is be honest. Mm-hmm. So my tendency would be to say, oh, what a really interesting question. Do you know, I haven't got the foggiest idea. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you at the end of this session, would you let me have your email address and I'll find out and I'll let you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, no audience would think that that was a poor answer. Mm-hmm. You know, it, or as far as they're concerned, you're being really honest about it. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know, you don't know. You know? I, I don't think you can do anything to to make it anything different. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think that some people do expect themselves or of themselves that they'll know all the answers. And realistically, um, in any context, you would always have access to other people or other resources that may have the answer and you should go and find them. It's a bit like me needing to remember what the name is, the technical linguistic term for ums and ahs and us. Um, I'll find out. Um, Mm, Yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay. Any other practical advice have been very good so far, Priscilla, sharing your knowledge. And you do that a lot within LinkedIn, don't you? You give these little tips for the week. Yes, I try to. People should think about. Yes, absolutely. What about emotion within speech where people may be, and this happens within the commercial environment as well, where somebody may be having to convey bad news either to their employees or to shareholders. How do people control um, almost overwhelming emotions when the news they're about to give is very challenging or difficult, both for them as the speaker and for the audience? I think that's really hard. I, I, I think we've seen real uh, examples of that sometimes when we've been watching news reports and a reporter is really struggling to talk about it. You know, some of these dreadful things that have happened in the world in the past. And I think to a certain extent, showing some emotion can be uh, relevant. It can be something that you should do. At certain moments in time, I suppose, you have to have control. I mean, for example, I don't think you'd ever, you know, see the News of 10 presenter um, not being able to control his emotions. Although sometimes you you notice they have a decent pause Mm -hmm. at the end of an item before they go on. And you do sometimes think that they're, okay, let's just get this under control and then go on seriously. Uh, So, I I mean, emotion is important. A speaker should show emotion because if we don't feel the speaker feels anything about what they're saying, why should we? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I think the emotional content is, is what sincerity is, you know, being sincere, meaning what you're saying, that comes from what we hear in the tone colour, and the tone colour is emotion. Yes. So, you know, it's the difference between happiness and sadness and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And people read into that, don't they, and take different things from it. Oh, yes. And, and it can, again, responses can be individual. So different people will feel different things. And I think the speaker, to be true to themselves, just has to connect with the words they're speaking you must never go on to automatic pilot. Mm -hmm. You must always be thinking about what you're saying and why you're saying it. Yeah. So again, be genuine. Yes. You do a lot of work with festivals, Priscilla. Can you tell me a little bit about what the festivals aim to do, what they celebrate and how you uh, work in there as a judge? 
Yes, so um, the festival movement, I, I don't know whether it began in Britain, it probably did, but it's spread quite widely, widely around the world now. I regularly work in Sri Lanka, Hong Kong, I've worked in Singapore, um, and even Bermuda once, which was quite exciting. But generally, in, in the festival movement is an opportunity for young people and adults to perform in front of an audience, to present uh, poetry, um, extracts from books, dramatic performances, and be assessed by uh, um, a, a judge who has the experience and the know-how to be able to give them a critique, which is positive, but which, help, which helps them move on. So for me, um, it's wonderful. I've been doing it, I've been uh, an adjudicator for the British and International Federation of Festivals since 1991. Uh, so, it, well, 30 years this year, I think, 90, right? yes, 30 years. Uh, and it's wonderful because you can see youngsters who are very shy and very tentative at the beginning grow and grow until in their teens they're confident performers um, and, it, and most of them are never going to be professional performers it's that's not what it's about it's about confidence building and understanding the power of good communication uh, and I, I'm very honoured in that I've recently been appointed to the Board of Trustees of the BIF organisation and so hopefully taking it forward as this year is its centenary. Excellent. It just shows the um, the length of time that these issues have been recognised as being important. And yes. I think you're right, the fun and enjoyment factor in this is really important. We had that, didn't we, with Lambda qualifications, which yes. I'm hoping to speak about on a future podcast. But when I was asked, you know, what's the underlying or underpinning um, thing that people, young people and adults get from doing a qualification or indeed participating in a festival, it is that improvement in self-confidence. Oh, yes, that is the most important thing by far. The fact that they understand what good communication is and they feel able to do it. It makes such a difference to their opportunities when it comes to, to job interviews, college interviews and moving forward into the business world and, and you know, going to um, into jobs where they're going to be managing people and giving information. Oh, huge, huge difference. And mm -hmm. of course, it's great fun to do as well. You know, the, the yep. festival movement is a um, is a very protected, uh, protective movement as well. Uh, all the young people are looked after and, and given so much encouragement. Uh, mm -hmm. As I think, you know, the examination movement tries to do the same, you know. Yes. So, so for me, my, my time on the Lambda board, 34 years in all, um, saw lots and lots of changes, but one thing that did never changed, and that was the fact that you were trying to really help the young people to move forward and, and get more skills mm -hmm. uh, and to become better adult communicators. Yes, and to have something to say and to say, well, which really is yeah. about fulfilling their own potential, really, as communicators. Yes. Absolutely. Any final advice, Priscilla, which you want to offer us? I'm very grateful for your time. Um, anything yes. else you would say, particularly for people who speak English as a foreign language? Do you see any differences across languages in terms of presentations or is it pretty consistent advice, whatever the language? I think if I was advising, I, I do work with a, a lot of individual clients who actually have English as a second language or sometimes a third language. Uh, and for them, very often, they are struggling a little bit with a sense of 
making sure everybody understands them because I think there is a, a, a form of English which we would term to be RP, received pronunciation, if you like, um, middle of the road English, which hopefully anybody would understand whatever part of the world they come from. And that's quite difficult to get because if you haven't learnt your English from a native speaker, you will obviously learn things which are slightly quirky from your teacher, who will also have learnt their English as a second language. And so you can get such variation. Uh, and one of the things I love most is being able to um, soften the edges of an accent so that it brings it towards the middle. So it's not about getting rid of an accent, mm -hmm. that's our individuality, that's really important. But as a public speaker, you have to be understood. You must be understood. That's probably one of the most important things. If people can't understand the message you're giving them and they don't feel that you're giving it them in the right way, then it's very easy for them to switch off. Mm -hmm. So taking more time, I think is key. So give your audience a little bit more time so that they can work out, even if they're having to slightly translate what it is that you're saying, they can work out the sense. And just simple things like opening your mouth a little bit more, so there's a little bit more positive shaping. And I think that particularly helps, particularly is useful on, on uh, online presentations too, where mm -hmm. people can't see you in three dimensions. So allowing time and being aware of the fact that your English may not be exactly what your audience is expecting to hear. So you do have to sort of just take care uh, and be thinking about it, be a, a little bit conscious of it and take your time. Don't rush because mm -hmm. that really helps everybody. Yes. And again, you know, we won't lose the fact, be authentic, be genuine, build a relationship yes. with your audience, be yourself yes. really. Absolutely. Priscilla Morris, uh, thank you very much indeed from Loud and Clear. I'll be giving contact details for you. I'm very grateful for your time. Thank you very much indeed. It's been my pleasure, John. Thank you very much for asking me.